Babylonians, the Egyptians, and the Assyrians. The Egyptians were defeated at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC. That's the historian coming out in me. The Assyrians were subsequently defeated by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians eventually were going to besiege Judah and take the people captive. They ended up being in captivity for some 70 years. The people of Judah, God's people, were taken from the promised land and moved to the land of Babylon, and many of them lost their identity there. But after 70 years, God preserved for himself a remnant that returned back to the land of Judah. So Jeremiah was called upon to prophesy in these times, and the Lord warned him. He said, Jeremiah, you better understand things are going well, but you come around with the word of the Lord, you're going to experience some isolation. The princes are going to be against you. The king is going to be against you. The people are going to be against you. The priests are going to be against you. He said, you're going to be by yourself. But I'm going to pull it, put a wall. I'm going to make you a wall. I'm going to make you with bronze gates so that you're not going to cave in to these kinds of pressures that you will experience when you give, present the word of the Lord, declare the word of the Lord. Now in chapter 9, we see that we find something of what's going to happen and Jeremiah is prophesying the judgment that's going to come upon Judah. But he also issues a warning in the last two verses of this passage in which I'm reading. Jeremiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider now. Call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. Let them come quickly and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We must leave our land because our houses are in ruin. Now, O women, hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another a lament. Death has climbed in through our windows and has entered our fortresses. It has cut off the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares. Say, this is what the Lord declares. The dead bodies of men will lie like refuse in the open field like cut grain behind the reaper with no one to gather them. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, 
declares the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word. Congregation beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning's sermon began with a question, so as I was reflecting on this passage, I thought I would have a question as well. So boys and girls, this is a question. Listen carefully, because it's an important question. It's kind of a riddle. What do you have? What do you have that is given to you which over time can become one of your most valuable possessions? What do you have that is given to you which over time can become one of your most valuable possessions? Well, does anyone have an idea what the answer to that question is? Well, the answer very simply is your name, your name. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and favor rather than silver or gold. A good name is to be chosen over great riches. Now this evening we're going to consider Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 47 is near the end of the Catechism. The very last part of the Catechism deals with the subject of gratitude. And there's two main things that the writers of the Catechism deal with in this third section of the Catechism. The first is the Ten Commandments. How do we show that we are grateful? Well, the Christian life is a Christian, is a life of Christian obedience. And what's the guide for Christian obedience? Well, God's law. And the second thing that the Catechism deals with is the Lord's Prayer. And what, what is central to the Christian life? What is the chief part of a life of Christian thankfulness? Well, prayer. It's at the core of the Christian life. God will give his grace and mercy to those who earnestly pray for it. And so we find that we're dealing now with the Lord's Prayer. Last week we dealt with the issue, with the question of the, the address of the Lord's Prayer. When we come before God, how can we address God? You know, disciples came to Christ. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. This is how you do it. First of all, you address God as our Father, which art in heaven. That establishes a certain relationship. The relationship between a father and a child. A father looks after his children. A father knows his children. But we see that this father is something special and unique because he is a father in heaven. And so often earthly fathers cannot, 
cannot give their children things that they may need. A child becomes sick, goes in for surgery. The father cannot heal him. Ultimately, healing belongs to our Heavenly Father. And now this evening we're going to consider the first request. How do we come before our Heavenly Father? What's the first thing the Lord tells us we should be concerned about? And the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is this. Hallowed be thy name. Lord, may your name be held holy. May your name be held in esteem, high esteem, in my life. Hallowed be thy name. Question and answer 122 in the Heidelberg Catechism says this. What does the first request mean? Hallowed be thy name means help us to really know you, to bless, worship, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Hallowed be thy name. You know, names are important. Shakespeare once said, what's in a name? Well, there's a lot in a name. A reputation is entailed in a name. A person's character can be uh, categorized in a name. Names in the Old Testament were very important. And, and if people use our names in a way that, that is pejorative, that is, is not complimentary, we don't like it. We don't like it. In fact, a name eventually touches much of the core of our being. I once worked with a fellow who was a guard in the Marines in the brig, that's the prison in, the, in, in, this, in the Marines, they call it the brig, and he was a guard and he said, when we were guards there, when I was a guard there, you would address the prisoners by number. You wouldn't address them by name, you would address them by number. And he says, rather interesting, psychologically, that has a profound effect on people. They don't like to be addressed by number. They want to be addressed by their name, and it's, it's kind of debilitating. It's, it's, it's something that people just don't like. I have a name, I'm not a number. And yet these prisoners would be addressed always by number. And if you don't think names mean anything, well, 
try and open a hamburger stand and call it McDonald's, and you will find a legion of lawyers coming down on you saying you cannot use that name or sell a soda and name it Coke, you will find all kinds of pressure being brought on you to stop using that name. That name is copyrighted. That name belongs to us. That name of our business stands for something. It stands for a certain quality. You just can't use it. And now when we come to this first petition of the Lord's Prayer, we see that God is concerned about his name. We see that also reflected in the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him without guilt that takes his name in vain. In fact, the Catechism says that this is one of the most aggravating sins to Almighty God, to despise his name, to blaspheme his name, to take his name in vain. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you did that, you would be sentenced to death. So much was the name of God revered that when one reads the Hebrew Bible, when you come to the, the Hebrew did not have any vowels in it. The Hebrew language did not have any vowels. So around the ninth century, there was a group of, of uh, Jews that were known as the Masorites, and, and people were mispronouncing words because there were no vowels in the Hebrew language. And so they, they took the Bible and they, they pointed it. What they did is they inserted vowels above or beneath the words so that the pronunciation would be more correct. Except when they got to the official name of God. We think it was pronounced Yahweh, but those vowels are not inserted when it comes to the official name. They substituted other names. They called God Adonai, or Elohim, but they did not use that official name for fear of taking God's name in vain. So God is jealous and zealous for his name. So now what are we praying for when we pray, Hallowed be thy name? Well, we are praying for two things. And we see that reflected in the words of our text. We are praying, first of all, that we may rightly know God. That we may rightly know God. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But what should he boast of? that he understands and knows me, says the Lord, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. We are praying that we rightly know God. 
And secondly, we are praying that we may rightly serve God, that we may know God and that we may serve him. Now, if we talk about knowing God, a lot of questions immediately come to mind. How can I know God? And the answer to that is, you can't. You can't know God in a very profound sense. We cannot comprehend the mind of our Creator. We see that over and over again. That if we are to rightly know God, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, how can I comprehend this? We, we speak of the attributes of God, that he is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful, that he is omniscient, that he is all-knowing, that he is omnipresent, that he is everywhere present. These are called incommunicable communicable attributes. That is to say, we are not all-powerful, we are not all-knowing, we are not everywhere present, we're only present in one, present in one place at a time. But you know, how, how do you wrap your mind around that? How do we understand that? Or, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity. That in the very essence of the Godhead, we find God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three and yet one. And what about the ways of God? Sometimes the ways of God are incomprehensible. For example, Job, you know, at the end of Job, there's this wonderful scene where Job encounters God. And God says, Job, you've got any charges to make? Go ahead. And what does Job do? He puts his hand over his mouth. God says, Job, did I consult with you when I made the world? Job. Were you there when I created the Leviathan, the whales, and the ocean? Paul had that problem. The Apostle Paul had that problem. In Romans 9 to 11, you know, he was yearning for the salvation of his countrymen according to the flesh. His fellow Jews were not accepting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, in the last part of chapter 11, he, he, as it were, throws up his hands. He considers the issue for three chapters, and he finally says, Who has known the mind of the Lord, or, or who has been his counselor? To him be the glory and honor forever and ever. He ends with a doxology. I don't understand God's ways. I don't know God's ways. They're beyond me. And even Peter would say, do you, not, do you not know that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years are as one day? How do we grasp that? Huh? That time for God is, is something different. We are creatures of time. 
We can't imagine something different. And, and Peter says, with God, a thousand years is as one day, and one day is as a thousand years. He's not subject to the constraints of time and place. So when we say we have to know God, we have to humbly admit that there are things about God that we don't know, that we don't understand. But having said that, we must also understand that what we do know about God is what God has revealed or shown to us so that we shouldn't spend time thinking about God's, what theologians call his secret will, but what we have to concern ourselves with is what what about God's revealed will, what he has shown us? And so, first of all, to know God is to know his word and to heed his word. You know, Jeremiah preached to the people that were not listening to the word of the Lord. That's not unusual. Throughout history, people did not not listen to the word of the Lord. Consider the time of the judges. uh, Over and over and over again, you know. Israel would fall into idolatry or God raised up a judge and they would be delivered. And after the, the rule of the judge back to their old ways again. We have short, short memories, short memories. That's why we need the discipline of studying and heeding and hearing the word of God. Secondly, to know God is to honor his name. You know, as I said, names stand for something. Names stand for something. And when we speak of God, we have to understand something of what his name stands for. And this is what the name of God stands for, according to the word of the Lord, as we find it in Jeremiah. I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, For in these I delight. So if you want to know God, you'd better know the one who exercises justice and righteousness and kindness on earth and that he is a God that delights in these things. And if we behave differently, if we behave unjustly, or unrighteously, or unkindly, then we don't know God. We are not honoring his name. You know, there is a casualness in society nowadays 
when using the name of God. You hear it, for example, in the media or on television. People use name, the name of God with a kind of casualness, and you like to say, hey, wait a minute, do you know what you're saying, you know? People use this term, OMG, which apparently stands for, oh my God. Hey, wait a minute. Or they, they call on God to damn something or condemn something. So wait a minute, wait a minute. You know the God of heaven and earth hears that language. And you're going to be held accountable for that language. You don't use God flippantly. You don't use God's name in vain. You use it respectfully. Hallow God's name. You know, to hallow means to hold as holy. So if you're, going to, if you're going to use the name of God, you'd better understand you've got to use it as God is reflected and tells us how to use his name in his word. Because names stand for something. You know, we look at, we look at some of the names in the scripture. Abraham, David, John, Peter. And we're reminded of, of, of the apostles. We're reminded of men who, who walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded of Old Testament heroes of faith. We're reminded of people that, that played a significant role in salvation history. God used mightily for his purposes. But also a name can stand for something else. I've never baptized, as I've noted before, I've never baptized a baby named Judas or Adolf Hitler. You see, that name conjures up, brings up all kinds of, of connotations that you don't want to be associated with. And so if we are to know God, we are to rightly know his word, and we are to rightly honor and hallow his name. In Isaiah 48, we read these words. In verses 9 through 13, we read these words. For my own name's sake, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold back from you, so as not to cut you off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let my name be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. And so, when we take God's name in vain, as if he is our servant, as if he is around to do our bidding, you have to hear the words of Isaiah, the word of the Lord, I don't let my glory go to another. 
I don't let my glory go somewhere else to an idol or my name to be used flippantly. Thirdly, to know God is to glory in his works. To glory in his works. You know, there's a lot of things that we take pride in in life. Rightly or wrongly, rightly or wrongly, uh, we sometimes focus on things in the wrong way. There's a lot of idols in our lives. John Calvin said the human mind is an idol-making machine. And he was right. It does. It is. And, and Jeremiah calls our attention to this, huh? In chapter 9 here, he says, you know, the wise man, he might glory in his wisdom. And the mighty man might glory in his strength. The rich man might glory in his riches. But you see, these can become idols. Isaiah speaks of idolatry in the Old Testament. Huh? These people make idols out of wood. He says they take these idols, they put them on the backs of their camels, and they put them on the backs of their donkeys, and they go somewhere else, take the idol off the camel or the donkey, they set it up, and then they pray to it. Like this idol is going to answer them. Like this idol can see. Like this idol can talk. God will give his glory to no other. Do you think God cares about man's wisdom? The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Do you think God cares about man's might? The weakest, the weakest of men, sometimes God uses for the greatest of work. Moses, the meekest of men, God used to go before Israel and say, let my people go. Riches, do you think riches mean anything to God? Rather, we find that God loves justice and righteousness and kindness. And so, if you are to know God, you have to glory in understanding who he is and how he relates and has revealed himself to us. Steadfast love, wisdom, steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. And finally, to know God is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot ultimately know God apart from how he has revealed himself to us in his Son. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow before the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, to know God 
is to trust him. To trust him. Yeah, you can put your trust in your wisdom. You can put your trust in, in human justice. You know, we talk now about social justice. And you say, well, what is justice? And if you ask ten people, you'll get ten different answers. But God is just. And ultimately, he will accomplish justice in the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ will return one day to judge the living and the dead, and he will do what is right, what is just. And finally, as I said, to know God is to trust him. To trust him. We want to trust ourselves and our own abilities. We've simply created another idol. Not an idol of wood or stone. But an idol of the intellect. An idol of human strength. Or an idol of unrighteousness. Secondly and briefly. When we pray hallowed be thy name. We are praying that we may rightly serve God. Help us direct our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. If we are to rightly know God, we must serve him. That knowledge of God has got to be reflected in our lives. That knowledge of God has got to be seen in how we live. So that if people look at us and say, well, that guy goes to that church. I, mean, I wouldn't go there if he goes there. Not the way he lives, not the way he acts, not the way he does business. I want no part of that church. See, God's name is blasphemed then on our account, on our account. And so if we know God, we must trust him. But you know, the Bible is a book ultimately of comfort, of comfort, wonderful comfort. It's got some warnings in it that are Take your breath away. One of these is in Matthew chapter 7. The Lord says, The Lord says in verses 21 to 23 in Matthew chapter 7, A warning, watch out for false prophets. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. And then in verse 23, 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my heavenly Father, who is in heaven, who serve God. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and perform many miracles? 
Didn't we do these great works in your name and ask for contributions and get rich doing the Lord's work, supposedly? Didn't we use your name to serve ourselves and not you, O Lord? And you know what's going to happen? Those people that took God's name on their lips in vain to serve themselves. They're going to stand before God, the righteous judge. And they won't have a name. The Bible says that here, huh? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Can you imagine that? Standing before Almighty God. And he says, Who are you? Who are you? I don't know your name. I don't know your name. Depart from me. Get away from me. I don't want to see you. But the Bible, as I noted, is also a book of great comfort. In Isaiah chapter 43, we read these words. Now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. To those who hallow God's name, this is the word of comfort for you tonight. He doesn't forget your name. He doesn't forget your name. In fact, in Revelation chapter 13, we, we read of the beast that's going around, reading the beast that's given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. He didn't care about the name of God, this beast. To exercise his authority, he opens his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Except... All whose names have been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. That's the comfort, people of God. That's the wonderful comfort, the wonderful promise of God's word, that our names, if you hallow God's name, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you trust in him, God will never forget your name.
It's written down in that book that is sealed that only the Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ, can open. And on that great and glorious day, we will hear him say our names, our names. Amen. O Lord, our God, teach us not only to know you, but to rightly serve you, so that in our lives, day by day, we may indeed hallow your name. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.